How are we doing today, church family? Doing well? Uh, lights are going to come on in just a minute, so if you have your notes, you can grab that. We're going to start a new series today called Thanks and Giving. And if you have a Bible with you today, uh, then you can pull that out, and we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we'll also put it on the screen as well. And so today, uh, there's going to be a lot of heavy content into this, and so I brought notes, put the lights on, because I want you to take notes in this today. There's a lot of content to get through, and uh, I believe God's going to speak to us through this series. And so thanks in giving. There was a survey done a few years back, and I've created some charts, and so we're going to look at the screens a lot. The TV wasn't on, so we're just going to look at the TV or the screens up there, if you can see that. Uh, do I need to move this out of the way for some of you? Is that okay? I'll move some of that. All right. How's that? Better? Maybe for me? All right. You guys good? Everybody can see the screen? All right. So at the very top, you see this, uh, this chart. It says, hear the word, and it says, in church. And it says, exploring God, beginning in God, close to God, God-centered. So here's what the survey, here's what they did. In this survey, these churches were trying to find out if they were actually making disciples or not, because many of us know the great commission of God is to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. So what these churches did, 525 churches, 180,000 people kind of were part of this survey, that took this survey. Uh, the whole point was to determine whether or not churches were actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so what they discovered in this survey was there was four groups of people that were in churches or that were hearing the word of God, which is why I put that up at the very top. And here's the four groups. You had one group of people who were just exploring God. They were not necessarily giving their life to the Lord yet, but they're just exploring. Second group was beginning in God. A third group were people who classified as close to God. And then the fourth group were people who were called God-centered. And so the question became then, what is it that separates these people? What is it that separates somebody who is exploring God to somebody beginning to close to eventually God-centered? And so the first word that they, they kind of trickled it down through this survey that they came up with, the first word that went from exploring God to beginning God was the word grace. There was simply this idea that uh, somebody who's exploring God came to find out that, you know what, they cannot have salvation. They will not have an inherent eternal life unless uh, they have come to know the fact that they are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, right, that says we're saved by grace through faith. That they couldn't access heaven uh, just simply on their own merit or based off of their own works. And when a person moved from exploring God to beginning in God, it was that they came into relationship with God. It was like that first step. And they came to know the word grace. And what the statement was is this, I strongly agree that I cannot enter salvation, that I cannot have salvation without the grace of God. And so they grouped these people into this idea of exploring God, but then they moved to beginning in their relationship with God. Then the next question followed, well, what takes a person from beginning in God to becoming close to God? And it was this word. They narrowed it down to God's word or the Bible. They narrowed it down. I just put God's word because I'm trying to stick to the same starting of the letter. So, uh, but, but the Bible, they, that basically people who actually took their Bible and read their Bible experienced something called closer to God. They begin to feel closer to God the more they read the Bible. And they begin to get an understanding of who God is, which completely makes sense because the Bible says that the word is God. And so as we study the word, we study God and we come to find out who God is, we feel closer to God. And so these people were identified as people who were close to God because they were in God's word. Now this last 
group of people that moved. You say, well, how do you get close to God, to God-centered? What separated? I didn't write this word. I didn't take the survey. I didn't write the survey. I'm just reporting the survey before I put this word up. And some of you are like, I knew you were going to say that. All right, so here's the word that separated people who felt close to God to people who were God-centered. It was the word giving. The giving somehow is what separated a person that was close to God, in relationship with God, to God-centered, that everything in their life revolved around God, that God became the centerpiece of their life. They became fully surrendered to God's will in their life. But it wasn't just giving financially, it was giving multiple ways. And here's some of the ways, and I put it down like this, in their time, in their talent, and in their treasure. They gave their time, they gave their talent, that would be their giftings that God has gifted them with, and then they also gave financially, they gave their treasure. And these people who would center their life around time, talent, and treasure in their giving would be people who were God-centered, which actually perfectly makes sense because Jesus said this statement, which we'll probably talk about later on in the series, where Jesus said this huge statement. He said, wherever you're, if you, if you know it, come on, all the church people finish it, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in other words, these people, what's identifying is, in this whole assessment, this is just a few years back this has taken, which proves God's word to be true, that people who gave their time, their talent, and their treasure, so wherever their treasure is, their heart goes there also. These are people who are fully invested into the kingdom of God. I think I find this so fascinating that giving becomes this whole idea of really something important that I wanted you to unpack. Now, Jesus actually... Uh, proves this model to be true 2,000 years ago. And you don't have to turn there, but I'll put it on the screen because I want you to stay in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. But I want to read to you Mark chapter 4. It's the parable of the sower. And Jesus actually talks about these four frameworks. I'll show you what I mean by that. Let me read these verses to you, and then I'll come back and I'll explain it. All right, so Mark chapter 4, verses 10. Uh, this is the parable of the sower. Okay, here's what it says. It says, when he was all alone, that is Jesus, the 12 and others around him asked him about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Now listen to this. But to those on the outside, say on the outside, those on the outside, which also tells us there are people who are on the outside, they're not even on the inside. So the four groups of people I just explained to you are people who are on the inside. But Jesus says there's also a group of people who are on the outside. They're not even exploring God. I want you to follow and track with me on this. He says, everything is said in parables. And here's why Jesus says, I speak in parables. So that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So these are people who haven't turned to be forgiven yet. Verse 13, then Jesus said to them, do you understand this parable? And this is a fascinating question. Pay attention, watch this. Look what Jesus says about this parable. He says, if you don't get this parable, you're not gonna get any parable. He says, if you don't understand this, how will you understand any other parable? Which makes this parable really important. So if you were to go study a parable, I'd say start here, because Jesus said, if you don't get this one, you will not get any other parable I ever talk about. So get this one first. And so Jesus obviously puts a lot of emphasis. Then he says, here's the parable. The farmer sows the word. He's already taught on it, but now he's going to explain it. He says, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away. And he describes Satan like a bird, like a bird that sweeps down and takes seed away. He says, takes away the word that was sown in them. That's one group of people. Then he goes on to a second group. 
He says, others like to see it on rocky places, hear the word, and once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, we'll talk about this in just a minute, they last only a short time when trouble or persecution comes before, because of the word, persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Verse 18, still others, third group, like seed among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of the life, deceitfulness of wealth, and desire for other things come in and choke the word and making it unfruitful. Others like seed, the fourth group. Others like seed, a good soil, hear the word, accept it, produce a crop, some 30, 60, 100 times that which was sown. I think that's absolutely fascinating. So look at this from a different angle. If you could put the chart back up, and I put the four soils. I think it's probably the fourth or the fifth chart that we had up. And I just created the same chart, and all I did was take out the words exploring God, people who are beginning at God, people who are close to God, people who are God-centered. Now, I want you to track what Jesus is teaching here. I think what Jesus is getting at, and there's some description on, is it he talking about salvation? Or is he not talking about salvation? Who's saved? Which group was the saved? I don't want to get into that discussion. What I want you to see is I think what's more clear to me is phases of a Christian or stages, if you would, of somebody who's going through faith. Look at this. He says, the first person has a hard heart. They've got no soil. They're like a path. I want you for a moment, just go there with me and just think about somebody who's exploring God. They don't have God's word in them. God's truth is not in them. They have not received the grace of God. Satan has quickly stolen the word of God. They come in and it's like when, whenever you hear the word of God, you're like, whatever, how long? When is lunch? When can I get out of here? How long is this service anyways? Who dragged me here? You don't even hear the word of God. Grace has never come into your life at all because if you had the grace of God inside of you, you'd be like, preacher, keep going as long as you want. I can't get enough of Jesus. And for some of you, for some of you, this is what Jesus would say. For some people, they sit inside of a church and sometimes they hear the word of God and they're like, when is this thing gonna end? As fast as we possibly can. They're not even listening. And maybe some of you are like, gosh, that's me right there exploring God. Or no soil, hard heart, stolen before the seed ever gets sown. And here's what I know about probably most of us, myself included. There was a day that I was there. There was a day where, where I would sit in church and I'd be like, this is terrible, this is horrible. Why am I wearing the clip-on tie? You know, this is terrible. when I was a kid, you know, and this is terrible, and can I get done? Right, so the, the, heart, the heart was so hard I couldn't even hear it. Then he says there's a second group. And now these people are on rocky soil. And I love what he says about this because he says these people receive it. Look what he says. They hear it and they have joy at first. They receive it with joy. Well, the first group doesn't receive it. They hear it, but they don't receive it. But the second group, they have a shallow heart. They're beginning in God, but they have no understanding of God's word, right? When you give your life to Christ for the first time, it's not like you read the whole Bible, you understand it clearly, right? It's just like, you know, I'm taking a step into this. So I'm beginning in my relationship with God, but I have no root. It says they received it with joy. These are simply people who base their relationship based off an emotion. That is, I got joy. That was awesome. What a great message. Oh, that was so good. God spoke to me. Did you read my journal yesterday? Because that was exactly what I was thinking. You know, and you go through this. Oh, that was so good. That was so emotional. Tears are coming down. But he says, quickly what happens is they fall away because those emotions fade. And as the emotions fade, so goes their faith. So goes their relationship with me, just like their emotions. When, when the crowd is pumping and like, you know, oh, 5,000 people worshiping God. Oh, this is awesome. Jesus is number one. But when I'm by myself, I don't, not so much. And he says, the reason they do this is because they have no 
root. Because they have no foundation. Now, I want you to see it this way. They have no God's word. It simply says, Jesus says, it says that Satan comes, takes it away, the word that was sown in them. They receive it with joy. They have no root. And persecution comes because of the word. That's verse 16. Because of the word, they get persecution. And all of a sudden, they begin to get tempted to walk away from God. And they do because they have no root. These are people who are not in God's word. Third group, crowded heart, passion for other things. He says this in verse, uh, you don't have to put it back up, but verse 16, he says, rocky places, hear the word, receive it with joy. No root, I'm sorry, verse uh, 18. Still like others, seed among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, deceitfulness of wealth, desire for other things, come in and choke the word and making it unfruitful. So these are people who are close to God. They're close to God. They get in God's word. Absolutely. They show up to church, they listen, they hear. You would say, yep, I'm in close to God's word. I read my devotional every day. I have my cup of coffee. I'm doing all the right things. I'm in God's word, but he says there's a problem. And the problem is the reason why you're not producing fruit in your life is because you've got a crowded heart. It's like seed among thorns. And then he describes what the thorns are. These aren't like real thorns. He says, no, here's the thorn. Here's the thorn. And this is where I think a lot of people fall. I've just been in ministry a long time. I think a lot of us can fall here sometimes. And sometimes this is in seasons. Can I just say that? Let me, gosh, you've got to follow me on this because sometimes this is just a seasonal thing. Where sometimes you're like, yeah, I'm more like a rocky soil. Sometimes it's more like a soil of thorns. Sometimes it's like good soil. Then it kind of moves backwards. Then it kind of moves forwards. And I find as a Christian and as a follower of Jesus that a lot of times it kind of fluctuates. All right? And so Jesus is saying there's some people that they have a crowded heart. And the word desire here, by the word, the Greek word for desire, ultimately is the word lust. If you trace back the word lust, it comes down to passion. They have a passion for other things. And Jesus says, here is what chokes the word. Now watch this. Your desire for money. The desire for wealth. Now, I just want you, because I'm passionate about this, obviously, I just, I've seen this happen. I've mentioned this before in this room. I see so many people walk away from their calling, what God wants them to do, and it typically, most commonly, has to do with desire for more things. More things. Bigger house, better car, you know, better vacation plan, you know, more 401k, and it comes down to the desire for other things, other things. Now, this is really important to understand because Jesus is talking about fruitfulness. He's talking about people who grow in their faith. And he's simply saying what drowns this whole thing out is the desire for other things. And Jesus pushes on this even further. Then he says the last group, the good soil, though. They hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. This is what I call good soil or kingdom heart, right? They're God-centered. They produce fruit. These are people who give their time, their talent, and their treasure. You cannot produce fruit You cannot produce a crop without work. That doesn't happen that way. Like you've got to harvest them. You've got to work at it. These are people who give their time, their talent, and their treasure. And for some of you, you know these people. I mean, they show up to church and they're like, you're serving again? You served last week. Take off six months. Like, you know, why do you keep doing this? Man, you, you give to the church? Are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? And you don't wrap your head around that. You can't wrap your head around people who just give consistently over and over and over and over again. But they would say, here's the reason, here's the reason. Because I came to find out what Christ did for me. I got inside of his word. I've learned about who he is. And I just made a decision to surrender my full life to Jesus. And everything I have fully belongs to him. From my spiritual giftings to my finances, everything belongs to him. And it's all about him. 
Here's the truth about this for all of us in this room. I find that many of us go through this in phases. We'll, we'll, we'll find ourselves at times, good soil, oh, passionate for the Lord, we're giving our time, talent, treasure. But you know what I found most often happens to people when they say, you know, I'm just not really feeling it. I've got to take some time away. One of the first things people do is stop serving. I see it happen all the time in churches, man. They stop serving. They just think, you know, I'm going to take a break. I'm just going to stop serving. And eventually, they stop serving, and the heart stops being there. Heart stops being there. Money follows the heart. Money, heart follows the money, go together. Then all of a sudden, you know, giving starts to step back. Giving starts to step back. Then all of a sudden, word of God to me is step back. And begin they find themselves back at rocky soil. I find that Satan, or Jesus is teaching this whole principle that it's Satan that comes and steals all this away. And the whole purpose of it is that you don't ultimately produce fruit in your life. In fact, I would say a lot of people, and Satan knows this, just like we should know this. Once you become saved, you can't go back to no soil. You don't go back to a hard heart. Where, where you're not saved by the grace of God because we're saved by grace. We're not saved through works. And so we go back. And so Satan's whole point is to keep you away from being a kingdom-minded heart, that everything is about advancing God's kingdom, not my kingdom. Now, here's what separates this, and write this down if you're taking notes. We'll put this up, and this is the whole point of the series. That's just the setup. The difference between those who produce fruit and those who don't is giving. And you gotta remember, giving is not just financial. It's not like, oh, well, I serve, I give. No, this is people who give their time, their talent, and their treasure. They give in all ways. Why? Because everything ultimately belongs to God. Here's what I'm not going to do in this series. This whole series, we're going to talk about thanks and giving, right? Kind of giving out of thanks, understanding what God has done for our life. So here's what I want us to do. I want you to know this. I am not going to do this. I am not going to coerce you to give. We are not going to pass bucket 10 times, okay? I'm not going to coerce you to give. I'm not going to ask you to give and follow up. Oh, look, look, look who gave. Look who didn't give. I'm not, I'm not going to coerce you to give. But here's what I am going to do. We'll put it up on the screen. I am going to invite you to grow in grace. There is a direct correlation between your growing in grace, your growing in your relationship with God, and your giving. There is a direct correlation in those things, and I want you to see that. And you cannot ignore the scripture's teaching on this truth. And that's what I want to dive into today. My hope today is that you would simply see that there is a connection between growing in grace and growing in giving. And you cannot deny the biblical truth of that. And then I'll let you deal with what you want to deal with in regards to it. But I want to show this to you today so that we can become a church, of course, that's full of grace, which is a church of full of generosity. All right, key truth, write this down. To grow in grace is to grow in our understanding of what Jesus did. Pause. You grow in grace means you grow in understanding what Jesus did. When I put the chart up there just a moment ago, I showed you that the first step was understanding the cross, understanding the grace of God. Can I just tell you something? Look at me, pay attention. This is so good. Listen, you start to wrap your head around what Jesus did for you and everything will change. And you know what I know is true for you and it's also true for me? You need to be reminded of that every single day. And the more you're reminded of what Jesus did for you, the more you can't help but to all of a sudden say, God, all I have is yours. But you've got to grow in grace. That's what growing in grace means. So understand that. When I talk about growing in grace, I'm talking about growing in understanding of what Christ did for you. And then, as a part of that, it also means to grow in our appreciation of the grace that we've been giving. You grow in appreciation of the grace. Just imagine your children. If you've got children, you know, you say, come to you. You're the best mom. You're the best dad. You give us so much. Wow, look at all you did for us today. Look how you serve us. How many would love to hear that from your children? Okay, you have never done half for your children 
what Jesus has done for you. Never, and you never will, right? Now you say, well, 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 well I'll give my life for him. Maybe, right? For some, maybe, 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 no. So, but just think about what Jesus did, the beating he endured, right? The great, and I could go on the whole preaching on that right now, and you'd go, oh, wow. Look, man, gosh, Jesus did so much for me. So this is all about growing in appreciation for him. Okay, so that's a setup. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter eight. I'm gonna show you a church. This is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna walk you through this church, and I'm gonna show you about this church that has generosity, and ultimately their generosity is connected to their understanding of grace. That's all I'm trying to do today. I just want you to see how they grew in their grace, and because they grew in their grace, they grew in their generosity. All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter eight. All right, Paul is writing this letter and he writes this letter to this church in Corinth, this group of people, all right? This is this body of people, and he writes this letter to them. And in this letter, here's how he begins chapter 8. We're going to kind of interrupt right in the middle of the letter, but 2 Corinthians chapter 8, here's what Paul writes. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about, what is it? The grace. So we're talking about the grace, all right? The grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, so there is a grace that has been given to these Macedonian churches, which is people, not organizations. So we have to get that whole organization kind of thing out of our American culture and see this. We've got to see this group of people that have been given grace of God. And then we're going to see because of the grace inside of them, because of the knowledge of the grace that they have, the appreciation of the grace, we're going to see how this church responds. All right. So Paul writes this church in Corinth and he's talking about these churches in Macedonia. Now, Paul mentions these churches of Macedonian in another letter in Rome. So we're going to go over there for just a minute. I'll put it up on the screen. All right, so Paul mentions these same churches in another letter. And I want to show you this because it's important to see all the scripture in this. All right, he's going to talk to the church in Rome about these churches in Macedonia. And here's what he writes to the church in Rome. He says, now, however, Paul writes, I am on the way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia we're pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. This is really important. I'll show you a map in just a minute. For the Gentiles have shared the Jews' spiritual blessing. They owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and I've made sure that they have received the contribution, I'll go to Spain and visit you on the way. All right, so here's what Paul writes. We'll put a map up on the screen, and I'll explain it to you this way. All right, I told you it's going to get a little, uh, a little more teaching. So, All right, so here you have, you see Thessalonica. If you see the big nation of Macedonia, do you see that? You see Macedonia up on the screen. You see Thessalonica up to the north side. You see Achaia on the south. And you see Corinth down at the bottom. You see Philippi. So you have three churches in Macedonia. You have Philippi, Thessalonica, and then you see Achaia down there at the very, very bottom. And then you see Corinth towards the bottom. Here's what he's saying. He's saying these churches in Macedonia, Thessalonica, Philippi, okay, Achaia, these churches have been generous. And these churches have been growing in grace. And he's writing the letter to the city in Corinth, the church in Corinth. He's like, but Corinth, you're doing something a little different. And he's bragging, he's talking about these churches, he's taking pride in these churches. And here's what he ultimately is saying to these group of people who he's writing to in Corinth, but he's also talking to this group in Rome. In Rome, right, he just said it just a minute ago. He says, for Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessing. They owe it to Jews to share with them in their material blessing. That's part of the reason why this church gives to Jerusalem Institute of Justice. We give to the Jew first. Paul says, hey, 
you're a Gentile, which is non-Jew. And they have invited you into their spiritual blessing, so you should share with them in their material blessing. Now, what's the whole point of Paul asking the church to give towards the Jews? Here's why. Reconciliation, unity. He wants to show the Jews that the Gentiles are not against the Jews, but the fact is that, no, we're together. He wants to show that these group of individuals are dedicated to the Lord and to show them generosity. Now, we know that. When you've ever been invited over for dinner, a lot of times we do this in our culture, what do you do the very first time you show up to the Hughes house? You show up with a gift, you know that. Okay, okay take a minute, just getting you back. Okay, so I got you back. All right, so, but you know that, like when you want, oh, we gotta bring them something. You know, you go show up to somebody's house, you know, you bring them a little gift, you bring them something, right? You just wanna introduce, you. why? Because that gift, that little show of appreciation, that show of gratitude, whatever that may be, right? We do that in our culture. Oh, that was so nice of you, thank you so much. And all of a sudden a wall comes down. And so what Paul is wanting to do with the Jew and the Gentiles, he's wanting to say, hey, 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 I want you to see who these Gentiles are. They are saved by grace. They've come to know God. They are welcome into God's kingdom. God is not just the God of the Jews. He's the God of all people. And Paul is hoping to bring unity in the church. And so he's saying, Gentiles, you've got to give to the Jews in this way. And here's the problem that Paul had. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. The problem was the Corinthians weren't doing their part. They were simply not fulfilling a promise they had made. And if you read through the letters of the New Testament, this is so interesting, Paul was never afraid to have tough conversations. I mean, we don't like to have tough conversations. We don't like to have pastors talk harsh. Oh, that was so harsh. No, no, no. Paul would have been like the most scariest pastor, I think, because he would never be afraid to tell you how he feels. Like, no, this is true. So he tells the Corinthian church there's a problem. The problem is you're not doing what you said you were going to do. Look what he says, 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 8, verse 10. Here's, here's Paul's letter to this church. Y'all, this is so good. I love it. He says, here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. And then he calls them right out. Last year, you were the first. Last year, you were the first. Indicator, you're not the first this year. Last year, you were the first, not only to give, but also you had the desire to do so. You weren't just the first to give. You had the passion Where is that passion at in giving and understanding who God is? He's like, you said you were gonna do something, you haven't done it, and it's been a year. And some of you that just preached to you, you're like, man, it's so true. I've been talking about giving for a year and I haven't served a day. You mean just, it's just, Paul says, what happened to the passion? What happened to the desire to give? And so Paul's trying to remind this church in Corinth of this. The church had lost their desire in general for God's kingdom is what he's pushing at. And then, I want you to write this down, a church that is not growing in generosity is a church that is not growing in grace. He's like, what happened? Don't you remember the grace of God on your life? Last year, you were operating out of that grace. What has occurred? You know, one of the things that I think happens oftentimes as a Christian, this is something I see personal, just kind of see this. At some point, give your life to the Lord, you come down front, you make a decision, you check off something, you have a moment with God. It's like, gosh, grace is so good. I give my whole life to you. And some of us made that decision when you're teenagers and when you're young and you're like, Jesus is the one. And in church world, we talk about this word, man, you're on fire for the Lord. Anybody remember that? You're on fire for the Lord. And then a non-Christian, when you're on fire, you light yourself, that's, just, that's why I stay away from the whole thing. But we would use this vernacular about, you know, fire, you know, we're on fire for the Lord. Oh, remember the zeal? Remember the passion? That's what we were really trying to say. Remember the passion? So 
What happened to that passion? You know what I think happens to a lot of Christians a lot of times? Somehow, 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 I think it's a play by Satan because we see it in the parable of Mark. Somehow you forget that it's all about grace and then all of a sudden we make it more about our works. We make it more about Bible reading. We make it more about group involvement. We make it more about some of these things and all of a sudden the Christian faith begins to be more about our effort and about our works than it does about the grace. And when you go back to the grace of God, all of a sudden it just catapults you forward to remember why you do everything you do. So, Paul is one taken back to the grace of God. Then he goes to verse two of chapter eight. He says, in the midst of the very trial, their overflowing joy. Now you remember, he's talking to the church in Corinth, but he's talking about the churches in Macedonia. So he says, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Man, you didn't have to coerce these people to give anything. You didn't have to market it. You didn't have to dress it up. You didn't have to sit there and campaign it. You didn't have to do years of campaigning. You didn't have to just do the whole thing, sell emotional testimonies. Oh, look at that. The sad puppy song, the, you know, the angel, you know, song. What's the song? You know, the, the puppies are so sad, you know. What's the song? Arms of the angel, yeah, arms of the angel. You know, and you didn't have to see all the sad faces, you know. You didn't have to, see, you didn't have to dress it all up. Listen to me, come on. You know a lot of times before you give, you have to be dressed up. That's what every marketing company knows. That's why they get you. They just market you. And they just push on your emotions because they know if they get you emotional about it, you'll give to it. And here's what Paul is saying. No emotions needed here. No emotional tugs, no coercing. Couldn't help but to give. And they gave out of grace. Understanding the grace of God entirely on their own. They actually did something crazy. Look what this church did. They pleaded with us for the privilege of giving. I just want you to wrap your head around this for all of our team leaders that serve in this church. Can you imagine people showing up going, please let me volunteer. Like, please, please, please don't say no to me. How many team leads have ever heard that in your life? Raise your hand. None of you, exactly. Please, please. Now, I just want you to imagine, just imagine leading a church. Just put, put yourself in a position. Yeah, it doesn't matter, male, female here. Just, just lead a church. And people come to you, please take my money. Please, 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 please. Seriously. That actually happened in this church, which is why they're written about in scriptures. They are so moved to give, Paul said. They pleaded Please let us share in this offering. Please. They were deeply moved by the grace of God in their life. It's powerful when you think about it. In the service to the Lord's people. And he's using them as an example. This church that's growing in grace. These churches were evidently convinced of Acts 20, 35. In everything I did, Paul writes, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, Paul says, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Evidently, these churches had come to actually believe that. Like, it is a blessing to give. Oh, I can't wait to give of my time, my talent, and my treasure. Go back to verse 2. 
2 Corinthians 8. In the midst of a very severe trial, they were overflowing with joy and extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. A couple key words I want to pull out, right? First one, trial, means pressure. They were facing financial pressure and they gave anyway. I know what's happening in your heart. It's the same thing that happens in my heart when I read it. I go, ah, oh. gosh, that's amazing. That's so cool. They gave even though they were underneath severe pressure. Man, under severe trial. And it goes on to say they had still overflowing joy and extreme poverty. The word poverty in the Greek here means beggar. It would have been a word that would have been used to describe someone who had absolutely nothing. I was walking, was at the lightning game last night, go Bolts. And um, we were walking underneath the bridge, me and my wife. And I saw this man, probably in his, what seemed to be maybe mid-40s. And he didn't seem like he'd been on the streets long. And he's sitting there by himself. He's got his little sign next to him. I look at him. And immediately, I start thinking, my, my first thought was, what happened? At some point, you were someone's son. At some point, you may have shared in some Christmas tree. And I started thinking about just this moment about, man, goodness, like, what happened? This is a human being right here. And what Paul writes, and he uses this word, that's the state of this church. The state of this church is they are in extreme Poverty. They are like a beggar on the street, and yet they gave joyfully. You could imagine how that would have convicted a wealthy, rich church. Paul's like, you know what the problem is, though? You've lost your desire. You've lost your understanding of God's grace. When you remind yourself of God's grace, how could you not give and serve the body of Christ. That's his whole point. That's what he's pushing. This church is not growing in their grace. Verse two, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. And he says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. Their circumstance did not dictate their level of generosity. But you gotta understand, I'm going through a tough time. I'm just pointing you to a church in Macedonia today. I told you I'm not gonna coerce you. I'm just gonna point you back to a church and what a church did in Macedonia. These people are suffering and yet they're still giving because their circumstances did not dictate their level of generosity. They had overflowing joy. Overflowing from what the grace they had come to know. How do we know this? Watch this next verse, verse five. And they exceeded our expectations. I mean, they just blew us out of the water. We never even saw this coming. They gave themselves. Watch this. This is what you say. Man, how do I know this is all out of grace? How do I know this is all out of grace? Look at the text. Verse 5. Look at the screen. Look at your Bible. It proves to be true. This is why. It's because the reason is, this is such a key line. This is where we're going to land it today on the, on the verse, okay? This is what we're going to say in verse 5. The reason they did this, Paul wants this church to know. Remember, he's writing to the church in Corinth about Achaia, about Philippi, about Thessalonica. Here's what he says. You know what separated them? You know why they did this? Because they first gave themselves. 
They, they gave themselves. They were a living sacrifice for our Lord. Their heart was fully devoted to God. Their, their life was fully surrendered. Everything, everything was about him and advancing his kingdom. They were so kingdom-minded. Their entire life was wrapped up in Jesus. Kingdom heart. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. And then, by the will of God, also to us. Key truth, when we give ourselves to the Lord, this is the transition. You say, what is it? How do I know when, you know, he, he really becomes God? Write this in your notes. Look at your notes. I put it in there for you so you can write this down and go, okay, I get it. Here's what I want you to get. When we give ourselves to the Lord, because I want you to know, how do I know if I've given myself to the Lord? Here's how you know if you've given yourself to the Lord. I'm gonna answer that question, all right? When he goes from the Lord to our Lord. You wanna make it more personal? When he goes from the Lord to my Lord. There is a vast difference. In fact, you can confess him as the Lord and him never be your Lord. Now, if you think about the word Lord, it actually means the word master. The one who's in control of your life. The one who dictates your every step. The one you seek counsel from before you make a move. He is the Lord of your life. And when he becomes the Lord of your, of your life, you know, you know what? The Lord of your life, and for some of you, you're like, Ugh, I don't know if I want to go there. But for some of you, some of you are here, and I'm telling you, you can talk to some, they're out there. I know you're out there. Some, of, some people, God becomes such the Lord of their life, he becomes the Lord of their time. I mean, he becomes the one who dictates their time. He literally, they'll say, Lord, where do you want me to spend my time in this season of my life or in this day? You have my time. You know what these people will do? These people actually carve out time for the Lord intentionally. They'll actually get up early. Believe this. There's these oh, there's crazy Christian people out there. They'll get up early to get time with the Lord. Like they make sure he gets some of their time because he's the Lord of their time. This is what Paul would say about this church. And not only that, these are people who literally utilize their gifts from God for God. Wrap your head around that craziness. I mean, they just receive the gifts of God and then they use those gifts that God has given them for the advancement of God's kingdom. He is Lord of their talent. Just think about this. God has given you a gift and he's giving you a talent. Lead Business, communicate, whatever these giftings could be, mercy, grace, whatever these giftings, this is what these people do. God, you are the Lord of my gift. You're the Lord of my talent. Here's the key line. How do I use that for you and not for me? Because of what you did for me, everything I have is yours, including my talent. And finally, these people make God the Lord of their wallet. They actually look at their wallet and they go, every bank account, okay? Their debit cards, and, okay? Not credit cards, but the debit cards, okay? <laughs> okay? We don't want the Lord to be Lord of your credit cards, okay? All right. All right. But all of your money, this is what people who, the Lord, they are the Lord of their money. This is what people who, who they say, God, you're the Lord of my money. You know what they actually believe? Everything I have is yours, not mine. Wrap your head around that. 
Talk to somebody, find somebody who actually believes that truth. I'm telling you, they actually think, everything I have is actually yours, not mine. Because you're the Lord of it, not me. This is what people who make the Lord, this is what this church did. This is how this church had a heart of. Warren Wiersbe has a great quote, put up on the screen. When you've experienced God's grace in your life, you will not use difficult circumstances as an excuse for not giving. Ouch, okay, let's keep moving. Those who give from grace, give in spite of circumstances. Write that in, give in spite of circumstances. Here's the bottom line I want you to know today as we wrap up. Those who grow in grace, grow in giving. There's a direct truth to that, church, that those who grow in grace, grow in giving. You cannot escape this biblical truth today. And I just wanted you, all I wanted to do today as your pastor leader, I just wanted you to see the connection between grace and growing. And by the way, no special collection today. We'll do that next week. Okay, so we're not today. I just want you to see the connection. And by the way, there is no big pitch on volunteering. We don't have like this crazy setup. I'm not gonna course you and try to do anything with you today. I want you to see the connection between grace and growing. I'm not even gonna ask you to volunteer per se right now. I'm not gonna say, hey, go, so give. To, listen, what I am saying to you is, do you remember the grace of God? What he did for you? Do you remember how he died and gave his life, was resurrected, came, became human and sacrificed his whole life for you and for me so that you could have eternal life? Like, do you remember what he did? You know, like, do you understand who Jesus is and like what he's done? Can you just remind yourself of that whole thing? Now, if you just take a moment and you do that, of course, naturally, it follows what Jesus said in Mark 4. How could you not produce fruit? How could you not give everything and make him the Lord of your life? Isn't that what Romans 10, 9 says? And you've heard this before as the band comes forward. Uh, isn't that what Romans 10, 9 says? If you confess with your mouth, believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Then you'll be saved. Like he's the Lord of your life. And understanding this truth is so incredibly important for us as a church. And the reality is because I want us to be a church that, that, of course, is giving. We want to be a generous church. But that doesn't happen until we're first a church that's filled with his grace. So here's what I ask you to do. Um, there's a story I'll share, and you can see just mad ass. Megan is share this. Uh, and you can stay seated during this song. But um, this is just really cool how this whole thing came about. Right? So uh, there's this... Andrew's our worship leader, was, was out this, he's out this week, and so Megan was leading, and so I saw a song on the set list, and it was uh, Turn Your Eyes, right? And um, so I saw the word Turn, Turn Your Eyes, like an old hymn, and uh, I had never even heard it before, so I know some of you right now, like, I didn't even go to church, sorry, I didn't, I didn't know, okay, but, but it's really cool. So I see this, and I was like, well, that's interesting, so I go find it on Spotify, you know, because I typically, when I see the set for the week, I go, play it, and I listen to Lauren Daigle's version, I don't know if that's the version you found, but I find this, this version, and my first thought was, Andrew's definitely going to choose that song, and that was my first thought, like, that just doesn't seem like something he would pick, and I ended up being right, so, but, so, I ended up doing some investigating, I'm a big history person, I love history, I love history stuff, and so, I, I started reading the 
history of the song. That's, that's what I naturally begin to do. So I start to read the history of the song, and I find that I come across this person who I've never heard of before. And maybe some of you are like, oh, you've heard of her. Her name is Lily Chotter. Some of you, I just tell my look in your faces, you're like, I didn't
is one that uses its gifts as a means to an end. The brightness and the sweetness are not for its own glory. They are but to attract the bees and butterflies that will fertilize and make it fruitful. All may go when the work is done.
brings this song to the table, and I couldn't help but to go, God, only you can craft a whole day like this. And uh, he put this whole thing together, I think, for us today as a church. And I can't help but to be moved by that statement that, man, when you turn your eyes upon Jesus, everything of this earth all of a sudden becomes really dim. What did Jesus say in Mark 4? He said, go put the chart back up last time, the chart, the very first one I showed you. What did he say? He said, man, those people who, who all of a sudden they have sea like thorns, they lost their passion and it removes them from being God-centered and producing fruit in their life. So here's my whole point. Here's how we're gonna land today. On this chair in front of you, there is a Brave Steps card. You don't have to grab it out, but you, you can look at it if you need to. And on the back of it, there's a couple of steps that you might be needing to take today. And one is maybe today you are exploring God and you go, man, I wanna give my life to this Jesus. I wanna come to know this Jesus, this one who died for me. And I wanna come to know him and follow him and give my life to him. We wanna walk through that journey with you. And for you, you just fill out your name and phone email and you just check off, follow Jesus. Maybe today it's like, you know, I know that, but I need to get baptized. I need to just, I know to be immersed in that. I need to make sure I get my life right with the Lord. I wanna get baptized. And you know the Holy Spirit is like saying, that's you, get baptized. Just check off, get baptism. There's join a group or serve with the team. Maybe today, and here's where I want to push on. Maybe today, you're just like, you know, I've, I've explored God. I've found God. And maybe today, you're like, I've began in God, and I've, I've began, but, but honestly, I need to get into my word of God. Not so that I can earn salvation, but just so that I can get to know this God. The best place for you to do that here in this community, in this church, is join a group where we study the word of God. Sorry about that. Uh, where we study the word of God every single week with people and meet people around you just like that are just studying the word of God, get into the word of God. Uh, you might do that. Serve with a team. Let me just say this. One of the things that you'll find gets you from closer to God to God-centered is serving, getting involved in serving. And for some of you, you've been sitting way too long and there's so many people here who serve week in and week out. And you could just serve right there. Say, hey, you know what? I'm gonna start to serve with the team. Just check that off. We'll get you there. Number five, give freely. That's intentional by us. We want you to give freely, not coerced. We don't want to have to coerce people to give. We want you to give freely and joyfully because of what Christ has done. So today, maybe for some of you, you're just like, we just need to start giving. We need to go home and have a conversation with my spouse about it. We've got to start giving. We've got to start sowing into God's kingdom. And so maybe for some of you, that, that's you. We'll talk more about that later on in the series. Uh, bring others to faith, just beginning to give and pour into others and then ultimately live out your purpose and calling and, and make fruit in your life. And here's what I want to wrap up as we pray. I couldn't help but think about Lily's Trotter and her fruit is still being produced today. I could not walk off the stage if I didn't think about that, that the fruit that she gave, she takes this huge move to Aldria. Go watch the whole movie if you want. But you think about this, the fruit in her life is still being produced because that song is sung. Then as that song just got sung, you just got blessed because a girl named Lily's Trotter gave up her whole fame, fortune, and everything she had, some woman you never met, moved to a desert, served people for the rest of her life, never tapped into the account that she was, you know, probably promised in her fame, all so that ultimately she would give her life to God. God has used that to bless you today. Do you see what I'm telling you, how this works? So what Jesus says is you produce fruit in your life when you surrender your life fully to God. And because of that, you're blessed today because of a woman named Lilius Trotter. That's how the kingdom of God works. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, Father, for today. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us together, reminding you of your glorious, glorious grace. And Jesus, 
Today, we fix our eyes upon you, Jesus. And when we do, when we fix our eyes upon you, the world goes really, really dim. And everything we think is important all of a sudden doesn't become important because all of a sudden we realize you really are all that matters. And so, Jesus, today, we don't just thank you with our words. We thank you with our hearts, God, with our lives. And so today, for some of you, it's giving your life to Jesus. Today, for some of you, it's giving your time back to Jesus. Today, it's like giving your gift and your talent back to Jesus and serving in the body of Christ. Today, for some of you, it's like giving finances that, God, we gotta start sowing back into your kingdom. And so, Jesus, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, we love you so much. You are dismissed. Be blessed. There are some people down front. I'll be here. I'd love to shake your hand. And if you need prayer today, we'll be here. We have Inside Brave today, by the way. That is a small lunch that takes place afterwards. If you're new with us or you want to join us for that, uh, this is where you discover the heart of Brave Church. We have lunch and stuff provided. So join us for that as well. It's uh, right around the corner in our teacher's lounge. Thank you for being here today.